G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. My name is Tandy Chapman, and this case may present a very familiar picture to you. Does this sound familiar? A parent has had a strong and caring relationship with one of their children in particular. As they grow older, their needs increase. That child is the one who cares for them and helps them the most. But as the care needs increase, the child struggles to find the time. The child also starts getting a bit bossy as their parent becomes less capable of managing their own affairs and the child needs to help there as well. So the parent begins to resent their loss of control and their reliance on the child. And the child is worked to the bone and is hurt by the parent's resentment. Into this relationship breakdown comes another child, one who hasn't been as close in the past but is now willing to give the parent all the care they need in exchange for a better share in the will. I may be sounding cynical, but in this case I think the court agrees with me. So on to the case of Fairyland. is the name of a cattle farming property of about 8,000 hectares with two houses on it. The farm was owned by Betty and Jim Birch. They had six children, but only one of the children continued the business of the family farm. Their son Doug spent most of his life working on the farm, from the time he was about 16 years old. In 1992, Doug married Juanita, and they both lived at Fairyland with Betty and Jim for about 15 years. In 2004, Betty and Jim made wills. Their wills left each other with a life interest in Fairyland, and on the death of both of them, Doug was to inherit Fairyland, provided he pay each of his siblings $15,000. What do I mean by a life interest? In this case, it meant that if Jim died, Betty could live at Fairyland for the rest of her life, but on her death, it would go to Doug. She wouldn't be able to sell or mortgage the property, or deal with it in any way that would prevent it going to Doug on her death. At the same time they did the wills, Jim and Betty also wrote letters to their children explaining why they had left Fairyland to Doug. They explained that they wanted the business to continue. In 2004, the four of them purchased a property together called Rosevale. Doug and Juanita paid 75% of the purchase price, and Betty and Jim paid 25%. A few years later, Jim and Betty gave their 25% share of Rosevale to Doug and Juanita as a gift for all their hard work. Doug and Juanita moved into Rosevale and continued to work both properties. A couple of big events happened in 2008. The party set up the Birch Pastoral Trust and transferred all the livestock and farm machineries to the trust for tax purposes. The beneficiaries of the trust were Jim and Betty, their son Doug and his wife Juanita, and any children that Doug and Juanita had. Betty and Jim transferred a one-third share of Fairyland to Doug, and they also moved to a house they owned in Eidsvold and did new wills. In the new wills, Jim left Betty a life interest in Fairyland, but on her death, Jim's one-third share would go to Doug, provided he pay his siblings one-third value of the property. Betty's will had the same conditions. Betty and Jim again wrote letters to their children explaining their wills. They explained that they wanted Doug to be able to carry on the business without incurring too much debt in having to pay his siblings out. They also recognised that since leaving school, Doug had put most of his time into helping them build up the business assets and keeping the business going. In November 2009, Jim was hospitalised, and he stayed in hospital until his death on 11th of June 2011. 
In August 2011, Betty transferred her one-third interest in Fairyland to Doug as a gift. This means that Doug owned two-thirds of Fairyland and the other third was part of Jim's estate, which allowed Betty to live there for the rest of her life and on her death to go to Doug, provided he pays siblings the value of one-third of the property. In November 2012, Betty went to a new lawyer and did a new will. She also did another letter to her children explaining that it had always been her and Jim's intention to give Doug another third of the farm so that he would only have to pay for one third. In the new will, Betty left the AIDS Vold property to her daughter Sherilyn, her shares in the Birch Pastoral Company to Doug and Juanita, and the rest of her estate to be divided equally among her six children. So at this stage, everything's going along much as it ever did. Then, in mid-2013, Betty moved to Toowoomba and lived with her son Colin for a short time, before moving into aged care. In September 2013, Betty started legal proceedings against Doug, claiming that he had pressured her into transferring her share of the farm to him and seeking to have her share in the property returned to her. To understand why all this importance is attached to a one-third interest and why legal proceedings were initiated, the parties believed that the property was worth about $3 million. So transferring Betty's share to Doug meant that on Betty's death, Doug would have to pay his siblings $1 million instead of $2 million. By July 2015, Betty's mental capacity had deteriorated and she could no longer participate in the legal proceedings. Her son Geoffrey Birch was appointed as her litigation guardian to continue the legal action on her behalf. In his defence, Doug argued that, firstly, that Betty did the transfer in 2011 voluntarily and freely, and secondly, that Betty and Jim had done mutual wills, which meant that neither could change their will without the permission of the other. So even though the transfer happened differently, it was what Betty and Jim had agreed to do, and so she now couldn't do anything differently. With cases like these where the parties are given different accounts of what happened, it's one person's word against another. It's made even harder when one of the parties' mental capacity is deteriorating. So now I'm going to present the witnesses to you. The Witnesses First up is Betty. In 2013, Betty made a written statement that said that when she and Doug had seen the solicitor about Jim's estate, Doug had been angry that Jim hadn't left him anything. Doug was so angry and upset that it had made her cry on the drive home. She explains that she transferred her share to Doug because she thought it was the best thing to do, because if Doug had the two-thirds, he would be able to afford to pay his siblings for the last third. But now he was telling her he couldn't afford to pay his siblings, and so she regretted doing the transfer. Doug also gave evidence. Doug's evidence was that he and Betty attended her solicitor to discuss his father's estate. Doug said they were both unhappy about the appointment because they were feeling like they didn't get anything from the estate. The solicitor advised Doug that he wasn't actually getting anything because to get the one-third interest of his father, he would have to pay his siblings the value of the one-third. And then the same would happen when his mother died. To get her one-third of the property, he was going to have to pay his siblings again. Betty was upset because she had come to realise that the life interest she had received didn't have real value. It wasn't something that she could sell. Even though they weren't happy, Doug denied that Betty was in tears on the drive home. According to Doug, Betty suggested transferring her share to Doug and he said that they would need to each get their own legal advice to do that. Betty got further advice from her solicitor. 
Doug got advice from his own solicitor and in August 2011, he attended Betty's solicitor to sign the transfer. Doug argued that his brothers Colin and Jeff had influenced their mother's attitude towards him to get her to start the legal proceedings and that since the legal proceedings had started, Doug was cut off from Betty and told all communications must go through her lawyers. Betty's solicitor Paul also gave evidence. So Paul did the transfer and was able to provide evidence at the trial about what happened at that time. Paul remembered meeting with Betty and Doug in July 2011 to discuss the estate. He met with Betty again a month later without Doug present to discuss the transfer. They met for one hour and 45 minutes and Paul said that Betty appeared frail and still upset by the death of her husband but otherwise was quite alert and appeared to understand what they were discussing. Paul remembered that Betty wanted to ensure that Doug got her one-third share of the property and mentioned that some of the family members would be upset if she did. She was advised that if she left her one-third share to Doug in her will, his siblings might challenge. It was for that reason that she wanted to transfer her share straight away while she was still alive. Seven days later, Betty attended the office again to sign the transfer. Paul did not believe that any pressure was being put on Betty to do the transfer, and he believed that she understood what her options were, otherwise he would not have allowed her to do it. Betty's brother-in-law, Bill Birch, also gave evidence. At the end of 2011, Betty had told Bill that she had transferred her one-third share in Fairyland to Doug. Bill went with Betty to the solicitor in 2012 when she did her will, and Bill was there when she told the solicitor that the transfer had been done correctly and willingly. During that appointment, Betty did another letter to her children, explaining that it had always been her and Jim's intention that Doug would get another one-third share, and that he would only have to purchase the last one-third. In late 2012, Betty asked Bill to write to members of her family to ask them to stop harassing her for money. Bill recalled receiving aggressive phone calls from Jeff and Stanley Birch in response to the letter. Sherilyn Birch was Betty's only daughter. She described her mother as a strong-willed personality who could not be pressured to do anything. Between November 2009 and June 2011, while Jim was in hospital, Sherilyn would visit her mother on weekends and sometimes take her to cattle shows. Sherilyn said that her mother appeared fine. She was managing her health and she was still active in the community. Sherilyn sometimes took Betty to visit Doug and Juanita, Fairyland, and saw that Betty remained involved in issues relating to the cattle and the business. Betty told Sherilyn about the transfer the weekend after it was done, and that she had arranged for a care worker to take her to the solicitor appointments. When Sherilyn asked why Betty didn't just get her to take her to the appointments, Betty said she didn't want it to seem like any pressure or coercion was being put on her. Betty told Sherilyn that the other children were telling her the transfer was a bad idea and pressuring her, and this was why Betty sent her children the letter in 2012. The other children were upsetting Betty, so Sherilyn called them to ask them to leave Betty alone. She was verbally abused by Jeff, Stan and Colin. So that was Sherilyn's evidence. On to Colin's evidence. Colin Birch claimed that his brother Doug had manipulated their parents. He made allegations that Betty's signature on the transfer was a forgery and that Sherilyn was able to sign their mother's signature exactly. The court stated that Colin had an overheated imagination and that his suspicions were not justified. Jeffrey Birch claimed that his father and Doug were very strong-willed and that Betty was subservient to them. Jeff said that in early 2013, Betty called him saying that she had made a mistake and he arranged for her to see a solicitor. The court asked Jeff how often he saw Betty. 
Jeff could not recall how often he saw Betty between June 2011 and October 2012. He did not see her at all between October 2012 and mid-2013. The last son to give evidence was Stanley Birch. Stanley Birch also said that both his father and Doug dominated over Betty and that Betty told him Doug was pressuring her to transfer her share. Stanley also tried to argue that the letter Betty sent her children in 2012, the one she had a solicitor help her prepare, was not actually written by her. Stanley's evidence was said to be unacceptable in any respect and he was described as aggressive to the point of belligerence. found in 2011, Betty was still capable of engaging in normal activities and business transactions. There was sufficient evidence that for a long time, Jim and Betty had intended to leave Fairyland to Doug. For at least 16 months after she signed the transfer, Betty continued to hold the opinion that the transfer was consistent with her and Jim's intentions. The court was satisfied that Betty had transferred her interest in the property of her own free will and had been properly advised. The court also found that Betty's later expressions of regret about the transfer came about under influence from Jeff, Colin and Stan from the earlier part of 2013 onwards. Appeal Jeff, as his mother's litigation guardian, appealed the decision. The appeal was dismissed with cost. The matter of cost can be a little bit confusing in any normal legal matter, but even more so when there's a tutor involved. Because as you'll remember, Betty didn't fight this fight herself. Jeff took this legal proceeding on her behalf because she no longer had capacity. My understanding is, and I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong, Jeff, as the tutor for Betty, is required to pay Doug's legal fees, so Jeff's the one who has to pay. But he can get reimbursed for these funds from whatever money Betty has, so long as he acted on a genuine and real case and without any intention to deceive. Looking at this case, you might suspect that Jeff didn't take this legal proceedings on his mother's behalf, that he wasn't so much interested in benefiting Betty as he wasn't getting the property back into the estate so that he could get his share of it. However, you'd have to show, you'd have to have proof that he had an intention to deceive and that, that he didn't have a genuine case. And I don't think that could be made out here. If they had won, then Betty would have received the benefit of that. That one-third interest in the property would have been transferred back into her name. So there was a benefit in it for her. So there was a case to look at. So just to be clear, Doug as the winning side doesn't have to pay his own legal fees. Jeff as the tutor would have to pay Doug's legal fees and then Jeff can be reimbursed from Betty. These types of cases aren't uncommon and the courts know how to look out for them. You have a parent that for many decades has had a strong relationship with one of their children, often involving combining assets and resources and providing assistance to each other. 
The parent wants to make greater provision for their child, whether in their will or by making a significant gift to the child while they are still alive. Then the parent gets older, their capacity might be lessening, they might have health problems and need to move into aged care, away from their child. And as the parent is nearing the end of their life, the other children creep in and begin making accusations and poisoning the parent against their once favoured child. The children may shower the parent with love and affection, or with the intention of getting a benefit under the will, or reversing a previous gift to the favoured child. It is elder abuse. For a child to wait until a parent is vulnerable and losing mental capacity to re-establish a relationship with them then, and work on the parent all with the intention of gaining a benefit for themselves. It is unconscionable conduct and it is elder abuse. That was the case of Birch versus Birch. The citation is provided in the notes. If you have any thoughts on the case or recommendations of cases for me to cover, I'd love to hear them. You can email any suggestions or feedback to me at elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. That's elderservice, one word, at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. A big thank you from the Elder Abuse Service for listening in. If you have identified or if you are at risk of elder abuse, you can call 1800 353 374. Or if you are on the New South Wales Central Coast, you can contact our service on 024324 5611.